is Angela, and this is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Homestead Education. It is Mandy and Angela here. We hope you are doing so good today. Today, uh, we have decided we're going to talk about bees. Um, But more specifically, what we all can do to help the bee population, the decline of the bee population, even if you're not a beekeeper. I, myself, Mandy, we do not keep bees here on our homestead, but Angela does. Angela has been keeping bees for about six or seven years um, and is very educational and super helpful on her social media platforms for folks who are getting into beekeeping or, you know, more experienced beekeepers. So we're going to have Angela kind of talk a little bit about her experience there. But then, like I said, we're going to kind of go into what we all can do uh, just as homesteaders, gardeners, um, just people in general um, who can can maybe help out this bee population. Because, I mean, gosh, without without our pollinators, we really don't have a lot um, of the end game, you know, food, flowers, all those things. I mean, uh, it's it's super important. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. So without, when you think about a world without bees, your food quantities decrease. Fruits, vegetables. Um, but then you have to think the, it, beyond just how that affects people. So if bees aren't pollinating crops or wild flowering trees, the wildlife that feeds off of those wild berries that are toxic to humans or you know what have you, you you begin to look at an ecosystem collapse situation where there's no longer wild food that was pollinated by domesticated or wild pollinators to support that wildlife. So not only is it important to help honeybees and your local beekeepers, but it, the bigger picture is just helping pollinators as a whole, mason bees, bumblebees, even wasps, uh, because without them, we're looking at an entire ecosystem collapse. Um, The reason they're collapsing, there's a study that was released by the USDA um, in 2006 is when they saw the biggest decrease in bee populations. And the reason is crop management practices for the most part. So that includes pesticides, pollutants, herbicides, um, things that are just generally toxic to not only honeybees, but even wild pollinators. and it is causing a problem. It is contributing to food shortages. Um, I mean, Mandy, you're not a beekeeper, but you definitely, we talked about this before we got on the air here. Right away, I was like, do you know why bees are declining? And Mandy was like, yeah, it's because of pollutants and toxins, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that it would be interesting to me, that study was, I I know, you know, we don't do studies like this super often. It'd be interesting to me to see maybe a study now or even in five or 10 years to see if that decline could is maybe more on a gradual upswing. Um, because I think maybe in the past, like five or something years, and this just might be my personal experience, but, um, there's been a little bit more awareness around it when you talk about not just honeybees, you know, pollinators, but like monarchs and things like that. I think that, um, I don't know if it's cyclic or, you know, just the notion of homesteading and, getting into this lifestyle um, or this practice of life you know, in however you do it, you know, big, you know, large or small scale. 
I think that it's kind of coming back around uh, the conversation about how important they are. But yeah, I mean, we don't keep bees and it's just common knowledge that it's just our practices as um, not just gardeners, um, you know, it, it's not just in your home, your backyard garden, how we can kind of contribute to the decline. It's, it's just, you know, us kind of in general. Uh, so I think it's, it's important for us to talk about it, but before we get too far into it and how we can kind of talk about how folks can help, do you just want to briefly touch on your experience as a beekeeper, maybe why you started or just like the the benefits of you as, you know, being a beekeeper as a homesteader? Yeah, sure. So I was afraid of honeybees, deathly afraid of bees, wasps, yellow jackets, all the stinging things until I was in my 20s. And I wasn't a homesteader yet. I went to a networking function that was at a nature center, which is totally random now that I'm looking back and I don't know why they would have this business function there. But um, I was supporting my graphic and web di- website design business. We did a guided trail walk through this prairie and the guide plucked literally a honeybee off of this, I think it was goldenrod and put it on his finger and he was petting the bee. And I remember being so blown away because he was talking about how, you know, these bees know that if they sting, they're going to sacrifice their life. So they have a choice to make. They can do it to protect their hive, their queen or themselves if they think they're threatened, but they're not just out to attack people. And I was just totally blown away by that. I always thought that they were such predators. Um, And then I thought, you know what? I could keep bees someday. Then fast forward, we had the homestead and it just felt like the natural next step when you're trying to mimic a natural ecosystem as a permaculture homesteader, bees just make the most sense for pollination. I mean, there's the bonus of honey, there's the bonus of wax. But for me, the primary source was population support and uh, pollination of crops. Doing all this work in the garden, it increases your yields. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we kind of touched on it in our in our gardening or starting a homestead gardening um, and seed starting episodes when we talked about how plants are pollinated. I yeah, mean, we need these. We need the pollinators. I mean, that's that's just period the end. So I think maybe just for people who aren't familiar with what bees actually do, say you have a melon or a cucumber or a squash plant. The bee crawls into the center of the blossom and gets that dust, the, the, the pollen of the flower all over the hairs of their little legs. And they collect some of it to take back to the hive um, as a food source. But what benefits the crops is as they go from flower to flower, connect or collecting that pollen, it's the transfer of pollen from one flower to the next that fertilizes the flower. And then that process of fertilization is when we create fruit and vegetables. So without that, you have a severe decrease in the amount of food that that plant can produce. Some plants, lemon trees, for example, I have them potted on my patio. They say self-fertile and they will produce fruit, but you can seriously increase your quantity if you have bees to help. So that's the actual process of pollination and that's why it's important. Yeah, it's so peaceful too. Like I said, um, we don't keep bees, but um, gosh, about two years ago, maybe, gosh, it might have been three now, there was a swarm in our um, big tree in our chicken coop, which is just right um, neighboring our main garden. That was the best year in our garden, hands down. Um, And I remember when I first saw it, 
Um, we did have somebody actually come and collect eventually or get the swarm. But I remember when I first saw it, I was terrified, um, which is why we don't keep bees. I would love to get there, but they do still terrify me a little bit. Um, and it was just the best year. They would just be bop around. It was just so peaceful to just like sit back, let them do their thing. Um, once I would calm down and yeah, it was, it was the best, best year in our garden yet. And I know hands down it was because of the pollination because I don't self pollinate anything. I don't self pollinate my splash. I just don't um, typically have time. Um, so yeah. So let's kind of move on. Um, we've, we've talked about why honeybees are important. Um, you kind of touched a little bit on, you know, your journey of, of being a beekeeper or what, what got you started there. So what other things or what can somebody do, um, if they are just wanting to support the, the decline maybe so we can increase the honeybee population? Um, what can somebody in the city do? Cause people are probably thinking, I can't do anything. Like I live in a high rise or I live in, you know, suburbia. Sure. So yeah, we will circle back to what you need to know to get into beekeeping at the end. But I think, yes, Mandy, let's jump into how you can help if you aren't ready or it's not possible for you to be a beekeeper. So first things first, um, just plant pollinator friendly trees and flowers. Mm -hmm. So let's explore trees first. If you think about the amount of space that a tree takes up, you have the trunk and then most often, unless it's a smaller tree, you walk underneath it, you still have ample space, but above you is the canopy. And if it's a fruiting tree, uh, think of all of the blossoms that a bee can forage and look for pollen, gather nectar. So things like crepe myrtles, service berries, maple trees, like I said, fruiting trees, you know, your apples, pears, black locust, those are going to be some awesome options for bees to be able to collect from. Maybe you can plant something ornamental like a maple, but there are teeny tiny little blossoms on there that actually help, which I was surprised to learn because I trapped trees for syrup, but it's supposed to be one of the most bee-friendly trees. Tulip trees are something that beekeepers actually seek out. So I did not know this until recently. We didn't have the tulip poplars until I moved to New Jersey. I'm from the Midwest and where I'm from, we did not see these. They look like tulips, the blossoms do. And the bees go nuts over them and they replenish themselves very quickly. So it's not uncommon for a beekeeper to go rent space on a farmer's property where they may not keep bees, but they have a lot of tulip poplars because they want that constant replenishment. Um, so those are all really good choices. We have resources in the show notes from the Arbor Day if you're looking for good um, options for you and your growing zone for bee-friendly trees. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and if somebody just like on a patio, bee balm, I mean, Cone flower, those types of things. Um, so, you know, like the trees and the ornamentals that Angela just um, mentioned, they help our pollinators, but they're dual, maybe even triple purpose, right? So it's, you know, a beautiful tree or bush or something like that in your yard, but you're also helping out uh, the pollinators. Same with like um, our cone flower, because those in most growing zones, those come back every year. Um, and so you, you get to help your pollinators every year and you don't have to replant that plant. Um, Black-eyed Susans um, are very, very great for bees. So we always make sure that we're starting those seeds and kind of just, um, you know, putting them all around the garden. It's kind of the same way that we um, companion plants. 
So if you, if you plant for your pollinators, if you plant for your bees and you give them food, you know, through your flowers, um, or other things like, you know, trees, like Angela mentioned, you, you can strategically place them so that they're bee bopping around. No pun intended. I've said that before, but now I feel like it's definitely a thing. The bees are bebopping around your garden um, and just, you know, pollinating all of your food. It's interesting. I was just talking to a friend over the weekend and she was saying that she planted mint because she wanted to, I think she was companion planting. Maybe she was repelling ants or something, but she had a, a nasty nest of yellow jackets and she goes, guess where they uh, planted themselves? And I said, where? And she goes, in the mint patch. And I was like, it's a pollinator attractant. Yeah. Um, so know what it is you're planting yeah. and what they're going to repel because they will, mint will repel ants, but it will attract other things. Um, back to the perennials, you know, Mandy was saying that it saves work. You don't have to re-sow them every year. But a lot of people also don't realize that perennials tend to have longer blooming cycles. So the increase in the number of days that that particular plant is going to be in bloom can just feed that many more bees as opposed to like a sunflower. A sunflower is an annual. We plant it each season. Yes, they are open for, I don't know, what do you say, like a couple of weeks before they begin say, yeah, to wilt? 14 days. Yeah, not, not too terribly long. Right. I mean, they're beautiful. Bees love them. Um, they are great to include in a garden, but if you look at the the lifespan of like salvia or bee balm is going to be a lot longer. Something else to keep in mind with regard to perennials, and I'm guilty of doing this, I love the quote unquote double flowers that are bred. They're hybrids. Usually you'll see them at garden centers and you'll see roses. They're double flower roses. So they have more petals. I do plant them because I love them. But if you have the option to plant one plant, for example, maybe try to avoid the double flowers because those are bred for petal quantity, not for fragrance. So they're harder for bees to find. And they also have less nectar and pollen. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about planting a garden with bee population support in mind specifically, ditch the double flowers. Yeah. This is just reminding me, I mean, why we do this, right? I mean, all of this homesteading in general is like a big overhead umbrella, you know, blanket term or statement or, you know, idea journey. It is just a symbiotic relationship with everything. Totally. Um, and so when you talk about choosing what plants to plant for whatever purpose, and we're talking about, you know, keeping your pollinators in mind, it might not be something that you would typically think about. And so hopefully maybe it's time to shifting gears and maybe you, you, you think about it next time because it truthfully is it's, it's dual purpose. It's triple purpose. I mean, there are so many different things that different things are supporting, um, where it is, it's just all bringing it full circle, um, to just a healthy symbiotic relationship with you. Um, and honestly, the earth. Totally. Yeah. Um, I just received a question the other day where somebody said, I was watching all of your info on Instagram about planting pumpkins. I did everything that you said, but I didn't get a lot of pumpkins. And I said, well, did you have pollinators? And she goes, we don't have a lot of bees. Yeah. That is why I mean, yes. you have to have them. So things that we can do also, I mean, we talk about 
you know, flowers and ornamentals and trees and things like that, where, where those are, you know, more a little bit specific to honeybees, or that's what we're kind of more, more talking about, but you can do other things for like you, you brought up mason bees and wasps mm-hmm. and you can have, um, like houses. Uh, I don't know the, the term, so jump in, but you can, are they just called bee houses? Um, yeah, you just create little homes. So there's like bug hotels. Those are kind of trendy a couple of years ago. Um, if you have fallen branches or logs that are not posing a threat to you or your animals, you can leave those because they do burrow in there, just leaving sort of their natural habitat in place. You might see blocks, mason bee houses. They are a grid of holes that are just drilled at a specific width and length into a block of wood because bees burrow in there and then they lay their eggs. And then when they leave, they like seal those eggs with mud. Um, different bees do tend to nest that way in isolation, but the length, or excuse me, the depth and the width of those holes needs to be different based on the species. So if you're trying to attract or harbor a specific bee that's native to your area, be sure to look that up. Um, But yeah, just give them a little home. And the other thing that anyone can do is create a bee watering station. So bees need water to decrystallize any hardened honey. They obviously need it just in their day-to-day functioning. Just create a watering station. Um, All that is, is like a shallow dish. I'm thinking of like a teacup saucer, you know, and put a few pebbles on the bottom so that they can still stand without fully immersing themselves but then fill it with water enough that they can still stand on the rocks or pebbles and drink. And that is hugely helpful. So helpful and adorable. I mean, all of these things, I'm thinking, I mean, it, it's so, it's so sweet. I mean, when you think about who it's just all the, the things that you can be helping by just putting out a little bit of water with the pebble in it. I mean, you can do it with your kids. You can do it just yourself. I mean, we don't have children and we do all these things because it is so helpful to your garden and just like Angela said, the ecosystem as a whole. Um, and there are commercial ones that you can buy too, I know, but there you can get creative and DIY. Well, all of these things. True. Yes. If you want to be a hands-off, lazy supporter of bees and native pollinators, let the land go. I'm talking embracing weeds, embracing wildflowers, create a prairie space. That's a thing where you just let nature fill in what is supposed to be in your yard or your field naturally. Um, Maybe you live in a small urban community, but you can designate a small patch of your front yard, not mow the grass, let natural grasses move in, natural weeds take place. You can go online and get certifications and stick a little sign in your yard that says certified organic butterfly habitat. And then your neighbors can't complain about it (laughs) (laughs) because you've created a little sanctuary. But that is, the thing is, I think there's a lot of human intervention. There doesn't need to be. The native pollinators that you have are already adapted and acclimated to the native plants that are supposed to be growing in your area. It's the natural ecosystem. They work together. If you want to not have maybe this organic looking whimsical prairie space, but you want to create a, um, a truly locally or native planting garden, go to the natural wildlife federation's website. We'll have a direct link in the show notes. And they're going to tell you what plants are best fit for your area as host plants for butterflies and moths and other pollinators. Um, you can look it up by zip code and figure out what's supposed to be growing in your zone. 
And side note, then you don't have to water as much. If you're planting native plantings, that's us work. They're going to come back. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people might be listening to this and I don't know how to, to convince folks that it's important other, other than just saying it really truthfully is important. Hopefully you can hear like the dire, um, tone in my voice, but you know, a lot of people, like I said, might be listening. They're like, why, why, why is it important for me to leave the weeds or why would it be important for me to support this? And we talked about it in the beginning and just kind of not just with the decline of them in general, but, um, everybody goes to the grocery store, right? We all have to source food. We all have to, whether we grow it or whatever. And um, even if it's not directly helping you um, because you don't grow your own food or you, you know, or you're not, you know, a, a big time farmer or what have you, it is, it is supporting the food chain. It is supporting just the ecosystem down the line and it's just making us better. Um, and so if, I want you to kind of cover a little bit if people are now, excuse me, if people are now maybe interested in keeping bees or something like that, do you have any tips or, I mean, we, we've talked about a little bit what folks can do if they don't, like you said, want to be totally hands-off or like a lazy quote unquote bee helper, um, some of the flowers and, you know, an herb garden. We didn't mention that, but you could just it, grow herbs on your windowsill. Um, they obviously have to go outside at some point in time, but you can start them and then they go outside and bees love herbs. Bees love mint, bees love chives, dill, so many things. Um, so talk a little bit about um, if, if folks are interested in keeping bees, what should they consider going forward? All right. Well, if you're ready to level up, and bring these <laughs> to the homestead or the yard. Um, the first thing you need to do is contact your city zoning office. So these are regulated for the most part in individual municipalities and states. For example, in New Jersey, I have to register my hives every year, but this is this is dual purpose. Um, it lets them know that I have bees so that if there's some sort of a it's called American foul brood. If there's an outbreak of this disease, they can come check my hives. But the other thing is they notify me. I get notifications anytime pesticides are sprayed within a three mile radius of my home. So these things are important. Make sure you look at your ordinances because you also want to know what rules are in place to dictate the placement of your hives on your property. So just start there. They're going to tell you where and how many you can have. A Langstroth hive is the name of the typical bee box that you see that's stacked up. You see a lot of like they're painted white or all these different colors. Um, you'll see them out in fields. Those are your typical beginner beehives and they're super easy to learn with. Um, I like the company is called Man Lake. I'll have a link into the show notes for um, a kit to get you started. And then if you are ready to source bees, get them locally. And the reason I cannot stress this enough is because, especially if you live in a cold climate, they are already um, equipped with the, the genes that they need to successfully get through the winter. So look for local bees. And then those people too are a lot of times willing to be helpful. They want to see their bees succeed. They don't just want to sell them off and know they're going to die. Obviously, they're passionate about beekeeping because they're trying to contribute to the population. So look for a mentor in addition to getting your bees. Um, look for a class. I have an online class, Girl Next Door Honey has online classes. Um, there's all kinds of books out there. Um, if you can get a mentor, that's huge. That's just kind of what you need to get started. Um, yeah. Bees, 
boxes, knowledge, just a little bit of knowledge. There's a steep learning curve, but do not be afraid. I think it's there's like anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's great. That's really great. Good advice. I think that maybe one day I might take you up on that advice. You know, the, the seasons and the years roll around and I'm like, maybe it's the year. Um, maybe next year. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I deeply understand the importance of them and I deeply understand, um, there are so many other ways that we can support them, even if you're not a keeper. So I think that, you know, keep that in mind, everybody just let them do their thing, plant a few flowers for them. Um, let them be bop around your, your area. Um, (laughs) and you will reap benefits. Um, honestly, I think that we are just a society of, you know, instant gratification. You might not actually see it visibly like at your house, um, but you are helping out. You're definitely helping. Yeah. So I think today we sort of just wanted to touch on, and we've done this a lot so far in our first season here, we're kind of working our way into the nitty gritty deeper conversations that come after we sort of scratch the surface on things. We are going to absolutely do a full episode, probably in season two, about, okay, where to start with beekeeping. But for right now, that might not be where you're at. Like Mandy said, you might be in the homesteading mindset. Perfect. But you've got neighbors just a few feet away and you live in an urban area. Maybe you still live in an apartment building. There's things you can do to take steps to homesteading, making bread, making your own jam, supporting the bee population without having to dive in. So we hope that this has served as an overview of how to support bees without having to literally keep them. But we will get there. We will talk about that. Absolutely, we will. Um, So thankful you all tuned in today. Um, like Angela said, we're going to have a lot of information in the show notes. Angela is a great resource, you all. So utilize her and um, have a really good day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.